Hi, this is Corey Olson, and welcome to Students of the Word. This podcast consists of recordings of the weekly Bible study I've started running in February of 2022. I'm doing close reading, uh, which means we're going very slowly, thinking really carefully about the words, how everything fits together, and then, of course, also thinking about what this means for us and what we do with it. Thanks for listening, and I pray that God will bless the reading of his word as we study together. Okay, welcome to episode 10. So we're going to talk about verse 9 of chapter 1 here today. Uh, It's the other half. It's the other verse that's pairing with uh, verse 8, the uh, uh, part about deceiving yourself if you say you have no sin. Um, So, of course, I got... uh, I felt like I got tangled up some last week. That is just trying to trying to work through the significance of verse 8 there. And coming to verse 9 today really clarified a lot of things for me. I felt much better, uh, not only about verse 9, but about verse 8 uh, after this discussion today. So I hope that, uh, that this helps you as well. The parallels between 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 are really powerful, I think. Uh, and I think we see a lot of that in today's episode. So without further ado, let's dig in. Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, It is time for session 10 of Students of the Word. Good to have you guys back with us today. And I am very excited for today's session because uh, last week's session kind of left us hanging a little bit. Um, uh, Verse 8 uh, in isolation from verse nine uh, was really challenging. Like I said, it's it's one of the things you always have to balance. You have to keep, uh, you have to develop this ability to kind of keep things in tension because, you really you need both, right? You need to be able to look at the details to understand the words and and look carefully to see the patterns. But none of that's going to make any sense if you can't put it into the larger context, right? So it's important to wrestle with all of these individual concepts. But we can't we can't either invest so much in them that we lose track of the rest of it or like could take it out of the context of the rest. Um, so we have to kind of balance, but at the same time, like we can't just be like, okay, so what matters is the context. So let's just like, you know, take a loose look at the entire thing. Cause then we miss a whole lot. Right. So you've got to be able to do both. So I, it was important uh, to spend that time uh, looking at verse eight. Exactly. Stephen, the trees and the forest are both important. Right. Absolutely. Um, and uh, the goal is to lose sight of neither of them, right? We will, uh, we will understand the forest much, much better um, if we spend our time looking at the trees, right? Um, but of course, we have to make sure that we're not losing sight of the entire forest as well. So that balance, you'll, you'll see at many points, me trying to sort of push that balance in different ways. Sometimes it may feel frustrating in one way or the other, I suspect that the the majority of the time, like the, the primary frustration you will probably feel, um, will be when I'm when we're I'm down deep and I won't let go of it. Right, like, like you know, a lot of you wanted to jump ahead to nine last week, and I felt that. Um, but I really wanted to make sure we were wrestling with. Sometimes it's better to wrestle with something without resolution. Um, we will understand better what questions need to be answered. Right. If we can first, re- if, even if the answers aren't there, right. And we can't like, you know, this. it's, it, it feels like, well, it's vain to try to like squeeze the answers out of this verse when like the answers in the next verse or whatever. Right. And when we need to see the larger structure and the corresponding elements in order to really get it. And we absolutely do. But if we don't do that, uh, that kind of wrestling through trying to understand the terms, trying to see what's at stake there in that verse, even if we don't come to the answer, right we know what the questions are now. Right. Um, and that really, really helps. So 
as I say, I know that sometimes that can feel a little bit frustrating, but we will, uh, we will, we are, we will persevere uh, and move through. And now today we get to do verse nine and see the bigger picture. So let's look back over. So we've got one through four there in case we need it, which we will um, let's start with verse five again. And when, this time we'll go through nine. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. Now we can see the larger shape, right? Again, we can see how this is playing out, um, establishing the terms. God is light, no darkness at all, verse five, right? Then six, we have, if we say this and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we, But if we walk in the light, so we talk about walking in darkness in six, we're talking about walking in the light in seven, we talk about deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us in eight, and we talk about confessing our sins and being forgiven in verse nine. So again, we go like negative, positive, negative, positive, one very like rough way to describe the, uh, the thing there. We can see the correspondences, both how seven and six and seven and eight and nine are linked to each other and how the two of them are kind of in parallel with each other. Right. But okay. Well, so we'll come back to that larger shape there, but first let's, let's go through. we got a lot of words to talk about uh, a lot of really important concepts that he's bringing in here. Uh, that we haven't really gotten before. So first, if we confess our sins, what does that mean? Homologomen. So I was uh, saying last time uh, to our Greek folks that I was going to need help with this word, and I do, uh, from doing basic concordance work, which I'm able to do through this interlinear here by uh, clicking on my number here. And then, so I got click on my number and I'm like, okay, let's scroll down to the concordance. Okay, here's, here are the definitions, which is nice. Uh, but I am most interested in what I like most is, yeah, concordance entries. Here we go. So we go through and we look at where does this, where is this used, right? In other places. Um, and uh, we see, uh, yeah, okay, John, right? John chapter one, there we go. John nine, right? Anyone confessed him to be the Christ? Um, uh, yeah, the Pharisees, uh, uh, yeah, they, they can, right. So of the Pharisees, they were not confessing for fear. Okay, I'm not forgetting the context of that. Um, yeah, so you can always go to the verse and be like, hang on a second. Wait, what? Uh, wow, look at that. Lots of things. Look in the whole Greek text. Sorry, every time I click on things in this, I'm like rabbit holes. Okay, let me, sorry, let me not go down, go down rabbit holes. Anyway, point is, confess. So based on the study I've been able to do with confess, this is definitely to put the first simplest thing on the table. This is a speech word, right? Um, which follows from what we've been seeing, right? If we say, we, we're talking about our words from the beginning of verse six, right? We're interested in our words and whether or not we're lying, right? In verse six, um, we don't, he doesn't talk about speech 
in verse seven explicitly, right? But then we come back to speech again in verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and we come back to the truth again, right? We weren't doing the truth in verse six where the truth is not in us in verse eight, right? Um, and now in nine, we come back to another speech word, confessing our sins, which seems to correspond with saying that we have no sin, right? So saying that we have no sin, confessing our sin. Um, yeah, so based on, and it's hard because uh, we don't yet have any, this is the first time we've seen this word in in this epistle. Um, the word seems to be uh, to connected with the idea of professing, like declaring something, right? Um, it also seems to have, as far as I can see, based on the ways and other ways in which it's used in the, in, in the New Testament, the idea of agreement with. Um, uh, but um, but anyway, we are we are certainly we are confessing our sins. We are we are speaking that and Bruce I agree we're saying that which is the truth right um we are we are confessing we are see I'm tempted if you were to ask me okay what's a synonym an English synonym for confess here I would be tempted to use the word admit like that's the first that's the way I think of it that's my tendency is to think of confession as an admission Right. Um, uh, you know, like you confess, uh, you know, for a crime, like it's often how we use the word in that kind of um, uh, in that kind of uh, forensic sense. Right. Uh, to confess that you did so, you know, to, to, to make a confession in court is to admit that you did a, a crime. Right. But that doesn't seem from what I can see that doesn't really seem to be the context of this word confess. Um, so it's not just like own up to your sin, right? It's not, it's, it's not, it's not confess again in a, in a, in a, in a, like a modern forensic sense that you're confessing, like, you know, it's a fair cop, you know, they got you banged to rights, confess your sin. Right. Um, but rather that word seems to be, yeah, more connected with the idea of proclamation. Stephen. Um, now it's different from the proclaiming words that we've been using. We've had lots of proclaiming words, right? Um, in, uh, uh, in, hang on, I want to go backwards, not forwards. Um, in First John, so far, right? We've had um, uh, the, you know, the, the 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 proclaiming here, right? In verse three, and the proclaiming, and ver- we, we've had proclaiming in verse two and three, and then we had another announcing, which was related to the proclaiming here in verse five, right? So. We've had a bunch of that kind of proclamation, um, and it's uh, uh, that doesn't th- those aren't the words. That's not the word that he's using here uh, in verse nine. You know, he's not saying if we proclaim our sins, right? Um, and which makes sense, right? Like we like uh, announce uh, an announcement, right? A proclamation, like I'm delivering a message to other people, right? Uh, is what the proclaiming and announcing that he was talking about were doing. And that's not, it's not that kind of proclaiming either, right? So it's like admitting a crime, but it's not quite like that. It's like proclaiming something, but it's not quite like that, right? Either. Um, it's kind of both of those things. Definitely, Bruce, a statement of doctrine can be a confession, like the Westminster Confection. Confession. Confection. The, West, the Westminster Confection. Um, if I ever open a candy store 
uh, in London, it will be called the Westminster Confection. <laughs> that is absolutely. What, does that not exist? If it doesn't exist, that's a real shame. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> the Westminster Confession. Yes, you're right. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to be thinking about the Westminster Confection uh, for for some time now. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's totally a missed opportunity, Devora. Oh my goodness, this guy. Somebody needs to open that shop. But anyhow, okay. Um, so, uh, yes, professing allegiance. Exactly. Hey, that does seem to be really central to the idea of confession in the way that this word is used. Um, uh, people, you know, it's, it's used in the context of saying like, you know, to, to, to confess that, um, uh, to confess that, 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 you know, that Jesus is the Christ, right? I mean, that's the kind of way that the word confession is used. Um, so what does it mean in this context exactly, right? Um, if we confess our sins, not just admit to, though, again, it's hard to think that that sense of it isn't there at all, right? Again, I'm not saying that concept is irrelevant. I'm saying it's insufficient, right? Um, it's not just a, uh, it's not merely an admission, right? It's also a declaration, it's also, hey, uh, in this sense, by extension, a kind of profession like a profession of allegiance, right? Um, remember, we've had all of these negative statements about words. Remember, we had our, you know, the, our two negatives and our two positives, right? Six and eight were the negatives and seven and nine were the positives, roughly, right? Um, but remember, as I pointed out, seven doesn't talk about speech, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. We don't get anything corresponding to, you know, he says like, if we, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Right. So what's the opposite of that? He doesn't give us the opposite of that. Exactly. Right. Um, what does it mean? What does practicing the truth look like? Exactly. Right. In verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, we lead ourselves astray, and the truth is not in us. So we've had these two relationships with the truth, right? We're not practicing the truth. The truth is not in us, right? <clears throat> Which is a quite different relationship with the truth, or rather a quite different construction of what the truth is, really, right? Um, and now we get, if we confess our sins, and that seems to be, so I do think it's fair for us to look at this as um, corresponding in some sense to those two things, right? The two negative statements about truth, do not practice the truth. The truth is not in us. Well, what happens if the truth is in us, right? What does practicing the truth look like, right? And especially to the former, I would say, confessing our sins, seems to be one of the things that practicing the truth looks like, right? Um, here in nine, we get that, the positive reversal, right? The positive side of the speech question, if we confess our sins, right? Um, now, uh, I, I agree. I think that the speech, speech acts are really, in one sense, I think, at the heart of this whole section of seven through nine. Um, that's what we're coming back to, right? That's what we 
um, eight and nine particularly focus in on the speech acts, right? Um, I got a, 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 an interesting email this afternoon from uh, Anton about this, and I agree with him um, that that's really central to what's happening here. Um, I will say, though, I do think that we have to be cautious. It would not, I think, be safe to say what John is really interested here in this whole paragraph is our words, right? It's, this is really about our words. I mean, on the one hand, that's, 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 that's true, right? We, we come back to our words all the time. Um, but it's about our, more precisely, he's interested in our words about our actions, right? Um, our actions are involved all the way through, right? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, right? Oh, and I apologize. I hurt my finger binarily. So I apologize for the distracting. I'm gesticulating and I've got this weird silver thing. It's a splint on my finger. Anyway. Um, okay. So uh, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, right? So we have the, um, uh, our actions over here, our words over here, our words about our actions is what the whole premise of the thing is and the relationship between our words and our actions, right? That's the subject, the explicit subject of verse six. So if we think about the whole light and darkness thing that he's establishing in verse five, if all of this light and darkness thing is just about our words, um, well, like our, we, our words aren't even about anything. Like there's no substance to our words, right? Uh, uh, here, if we don't have, if we're not interested in our actions, do you see what I mean? Like we have to, we have to think about our actions here. Like even in nine, right? What are we confessing? What are we, you know, we're confessing our sins. That is the things that we did. So um, I think to, to extract it, and so, we, we, so we can't go too far in saying this is really, this is, you know, the light and darkness thing is just, so walking in the light means being, speaking the truth and walking in darkness means not speaking the, speaking the truth. Like that's, that's clearly insufficient, right? That's clearly not so. Um, as again, he's say, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, right? He's not just saying, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we're, I mean, like, what is, what does it even mean? Right. So, so, so yes, yeah, so we're definitely, he's definitely interested in actions here uh, for sure. But the actions are like the the premise. The given seems to be. What, what, what are the givens? What are the givens? The givens are that we have sin, right? If we say we don't have sin, we're deceiving ourselves, right? That's a given, right? And so what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, notice the cleansing, we, we get the parallel clearly there in seven and nine, right? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? So now what, what there's, those aren't exactly the same, right? But there's, there's, we got the cleansing going on in both places, right? Jesus forgiving our sins, cleansing us from sins, cleansing us from unrighteousness, Um. That's really clear. Do a little thought experiment with me for a second. Um, skip verses six and seven entirely. What would it sound like if we didn't have those? Now, let me explain before I start why I do this kind of thing. Sometimes um, imagining the text says something different 
or doesn't say something that it does helps me to appreciate better what it does say, if you see what I mean, right? Um, so first let's take it out and then we'll put it back, right? Imagine if he said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See how much simpler that is? See what I mean? Like eight and nine just by themselves are pretty straightforward, right? We have sin. If you say you don't have sin, you're deceiving yourself. But if you confess your sin, right? So you don't lie about it, right? Don't lie to yourself about it, right? Just confess your sin and then Jesus will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's not hard, right? And so the whole focus of those two verses then is our attitude towards our sin. Are we, and then thinking, I read five too, right? God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then we can begin to see, okay, right? Light, darkness, right? If we say we have no sin, we're trying to conceal ourselves, right? We're deceiving ourselves. We're wandering away, right? We're leaving ourselves astray into the darkness, right? But we confess our sins openly. We bring our sins into the light, right? Don't try to keep them dark, even from ourselves, potentially, right? It's not just about, verse eight, you'll notice, is not just about lying, like deceiving ourselves, leading ourselves astray is more profound. He doesn't use the word lie like he does in verse six, right? It's not just a lie. We, we might believe it, right? That's probably part of the problem, right? Deceiving ourselves. But so don't deceive yourselves about your sin. Confess your sin. And he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, great. Now let's put back six and seven, right? So seeing that six and seven is our good deal more complicated and complicate the situation a little bit more. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The issue here is not just, okay, buddy, you've got sin. Are you going to confess your sin or not? Are you going to fool yourself or are you going to, are you going to confess it? Right? That's not the issue. That's not only the issue there in verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, right? He's not saying something different from verse eight, but he's adding a thing, right? Remember, this is one of the things I was struggling with last time, looking at the the lack of parallelism between six, like the place where the parallelism does not work, where he does not follow the par- it, it, it follow the structure of six, right? Those two things, if we say, but do this, we lie and do this, right? Or do not do this, right? Um, you know, say, do, say, do, structure of verse six, and he doesn't do that in verse eight. He's just like one thing, bam, if we say we have no sin, right? It's just a saying thing, right? He simplified it in verse eight. And that's the point. There's an, there, there is in fact an extra term there in verse six. In verse eight, verse eight is a simple denial, denial of our sin, right? Which is a deception of ourselves. In verse six, we're not merely denying our sin. We are, presumably, right? Um, but that's not only what's happening. We, 
we say that we have fellowship with him. We say that we are in community with him, but yet at the same time, we're walking in darkness. And again, it's both of those two things must be true. I, 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 I cannot accept that those are the same thing, that walking in darkness means saying that we have no sin, like that that's the definition of walking in darkness, right? Because he couples it. The parallel thing, if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say that we have no sin, right? Um, those are the two things that are in parallel and they do correspond with each other, right? One is the denial of our, of our sin, of our guilt, of our error, right? The other is a claim to relationship with God, right? It's one thing to say, oh yeah, no, I'm fine, right? I'm fine. I don't have any sin, right? I'm good. And another thing to say, it's, it's related, but uh, it's not exactly the same to say, it, it goes a step further, right? To say, I am in fellowship with God right here, right? Those two things are indirect parallel. He's saying there are two different ways of looking at the same thing, but the one is the first one. Saying you have fellowship with him, but walking in darkness, that's a lot stronger, Right? than merely the denial of your own sin, right? It's a logical extension of it, right? But he starts, he does the simple one second and the complex one first. You see that? Um, If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Again, he's not talking about our words here in verse seven. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Why doesn't he talk about our words in verse seven? Because in verse seven, what he's coming back to is the first half of verse six. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness. He sort of freezes on that and says, okay, let's talk about having fellowship with God, right? What does having fellowship with God look like? How can you have fellowship with God? You've claimed that you have fellowship with God. Okay, what does that mean? If you walk in the light as he himself is in the light, that's what fellowship with him means. Then we have fellowship with one another, like verse three, right? And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what fellowship with God looks like. That's the consequence. That's what happens when you come into the light. The darkness goes away. You're cleansed, right? No more darkness. There's no darkness at all in the light. That's what walking in the light looks like. That's what having fellowship with him looks like. So think back to what we just said in verse six. That's what you're claiming. You're claiming you have fellowship with him. Really? That? And yet you're walking in darkness? Yet you're living in some sin? There's, you're still doing sin? You still have sin? You're not practicing the truth. You're not practicing the truth if you do that. It's a lie. I mean, it's just simply untrue. And then he comes back 
to address our words again with the simple thing, with the simpler construction. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. So back to, back to walking in darkness, right? Don't ignore, don't deny that you're walking in darkness. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, right? The impression that this gives me, by the way, is that in verse six, he's not talking. I don't think he's, I mean, it could apply to like explicit hypocrites, but I don't think that's who he's addressing, right? I don't think that he's saying, therefore, don't be one of those people who tries to make out that they have fellowship with God, even though they're like, actually, you know, like not even trying, right. They're actually, you know, living these horrible sinful lives. um, And they're just trying to whitewash themselves. They're just trying to like the con artists or something, right? Like, I don't think he's talking about people like that. I don't think that he's addressing people like that. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. Like those are the people. That's what, that's the condition that he seems to be addressing in this whole thing. Not people who are trying to pull one over on other people or even pull one over on God, right? He seems to be addressing people who are deceiving themselves, who are leading themselves astray. Remember the premise of this entire thing, right? From the beginning, these are people who know, who have experienced the word of life stuff, right? These are all believers, These are people who have koinonia with God. Now he's coming back to that. Now, about that koinonia, right? If you say that you have that koinonia, but yet you're walking in darkness, you're lying, right? You're You're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you. If you say that you have no sin, right? Um, So anyway, back to nine. Uh, I'm sort of, look at me wandering off into patterns before we finish looking at all the words, but that's okay. Um, Because we're focusing on the parallel of that first, the if clause, right? Um, Which you'll notice this is the dominant structure of the whole thing. And notice, by the way, the way that his, um, the way that the structure sort of shrinks. I've been saying that six and nine and eight or six and seven and eight and nine are like two pairs, which is true. But notice that um, there's this sort of link, right? Um, Six and seven are kind of linked more directly than um, eight and nine are. But anyway, all four of them, all four verses are if clauses. If we say, if we walk, if we say, if we confess, right? If then, if then, if then, if then is how this whole thing is structured, right? If this, then that, but if this, then that, if this, then that, but if this, then that, right? That's how he keeps going back and forth. So I've focused on the if clauses there, but now let's go ahead um, and look at the, um, and look at the, the then clauses. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. Um, let me, let me talk first about the word I'm probably going to spend less time on 
on the whole, because it's the sort of outlier word in a sense in this, like uh, faithful is the word faithful. This is not a word that John is going to use a lot in this epistle. This is not like one of his core words and concepts. Um, faithful. Uh, this is um, this is a tricky word, actually. If you look at its New Testament usage, it's a tricky word. Um, this is the word that is used in the parable of the talents, for instance, right? Like you've been faithful in few things, you know, we'll give you many things. Um, uh, it's the word used like to be a faithful steward, right? That's, that's this word as well. Um, it's a, the word that's used about God and his covenant promises, right? God is faithful to his promises. Um, it comes up that way, I believe, in Acts 7 in Stephen's confession. It comes up that way in Hebrews, right? Uh, talking about God being faithful to his promises or people believing that God would be faithful to his promises in Hebrews 11. Um, so that's, on the one hand, the word, um, uh, which is it's right here, lurking off on the left-hand side of my screen, pistos here, Um so pistos seems to mean that it's also used in the context of like believers, like people who believe, like those uh, those passages in the epistles that talk about like, um, but if you have a believing spouse, right, versus an unbelieving spouse, then, right, pistos is the word for that's translated believing there. Um, that's the, uh, 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 that's the other usage uh comedy and i'm i don't know what to do with that this seems to be faithful in the covenant sense um faithful like that you have uh followed through in performing that which you have promised um uh yeah yeah so but as i say this is not a concept that john's going to come back to a whole bunch in this epistle so i'm i i I'm not going to ignore that word. That's an important word, right? Um, he is faithful. Who's he? God still, right? God is light. And then we had Jesus, his son, right? Um, uh, so I think the, the he is still God here. Um, I mean, it's conceivable that it's Jesus because Jesus was said more recently than God. But again, the way that that pronoun, the his pronoun was used about Jesus, right? Jesus, his son, suggests to me that the he in question here is still God. Um, but um, in any case, he, God, is faithful. And also, I think the faithfulness also, again, that because of the association of that word, faithful. Um, by the way, um, when faithful and true is one of the names that's given, uh, to Jesus in Revelation, that's also this word, faithful, uh, same word. Um, oh, anyway, okay. Um, but it's the the covenantal context is uh, uh, is makes or, or that kind of uh, usage uh, is what makes me. And another thing that makes me think we're talking about God here. Um, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. Now, one thing that always gets my attention is repetition, right? Um, when I'm, whenever I'm reading a text like this, uh, repeated words are like flags waved around, 
right? Pay attention to me, pay attention to me, right? Um, and if you look in verse nine, we have two pairs. Um, uh, we have two pairs of um, repeated words, right? Um, first, sins. So let's look at that. Okay, um, if we should confess, right? So again, we're putting, this is in the subjunctive again, if we should confess, like on the theoretical, uh, in the theoretical uh, uh, situation that we confess our sins, our hemartias, then he is faithful and just that he may forgive us our hemartias. So we're repeating the word sins here, which is of course the same word that was used in verse eight, if we say we have no sin. But now notice it was singular up here. If we should say that we have not sin, singular, verse eight here, we're confessing plural sins. We should confess the sins of us and he's forgiving our sins, plural here too. Hmm. Hadn't thought about that. I wonder if that's significant or how that is. If sins, plural, are the things that we confess, and sins, plural, are those things which are forgiven, why is sin singular that thing that we have? Is John's implication here that when we talk about our having sin, we're not talking about individual actions, but sort of our state, right? A state of sin? Yeah, a state of being, Elizabeth. Exactly. Um, it does have that kind of feeling, doesn't it? Um, if you deny that you are in a state of sin, then you're deceiving yourself. But if you confess your sins individually as they come along, right? Um, those things individually, which came along, he shall be faithful and righteous to forgive, right? And this, of course, helps to understand the context of faithful, right? Um, I think, doesn't it? Um, it requires faithfulness on God's part, right? To forgive our sins. That is, he has to be willing to carry on doing it, to keep following through on his promise to forgive us, right? Um, his promise that the blood of Jesus, his son, would cleanse us from all sin, right? Um, and that's the forgiveness is not just a sort of once for all time, right? Uh, thing here. So yeah, the plural pluralization does seem important, but those are all three the same word, right? Um, and so we're therefore linking, directly linking, if we confess our sins, he will forgive, will forgive us our sins, right? Okay. Um, yeah, Stephen, I very much have that impression. Um, 
that he's saying that uh, by saying we have no sin, addressing believers thinking that because they were saved, they didn't have to worry about sin anymore in this life. Um, Yes. And I think it's fascinating that John basically starts with this because much of what he's going to say in the rest of this epistle what, again, one of the things that makes people uncomfortable about John is it sounds like perfection about first John is that it sounds like it's preaching perfectionism that again, if you are a, a, a real believer, right? If you're a true believer, then you won't sin, obviously. Right. Um, it's, 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 that's a, a, a way that John has been understood. That's what it seems like he's saying in very many places. But I think it's important that he starts with this um, here in chapter one, right? In his very first delivery of the message, what he's emphasizing is okay, we're deceiving ourselves if we say we don't have sin, right? So let's be quite clear about that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Yeah. But okay, now let's um, let's look at the other repeated word. Now, Depending on your translation, you might not have another repeated word here, right? Let's look at the, let's, let's go to our pool here. Okay. Um, King James has, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What other repetition? There's only one, sins, right? No other repetition there. NIV. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. No second repetition there either. NRSV. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yep. Yep. No, not there either. CEV. Confess our sins to God. He can always be trusted to forgive us and take our sins away. Well, we just avoid the whole righteousness question in in that one. Yeah. Notice that we've just, they've collapsed it. If we confess, he can always be trusted to forgive us and take our sins away. So they've cleansed us of all unrighteousness has been translated to take our sins away. Okay. Okay. And then uh, what do we get here? Um, uh Right, if we admit our sins, simply come clean about them. Notice how they lean in, in the message here. They lean into the just admit, like admit your guilt, right? It's a fair cop. You got me banged to rights, right? Um, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself, faithful, okay? He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing, okay? Um, he'll be true to himself. Doesn't say anything about himself. Like, he, What's he being true to? Exactly. There. I mean, faithful, you know, true to himself is it's not a horrible translation of faithful, um, but they've taken out the just thing. He'll be like, he's faithful and just, right? To forgive us our sins. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, and Devorah, I do like the, I do like the wordplay on come clean, right? And that, that's fun. Right. That's that's fun. taking that uh, modern English concept of coming clean. Right. Um, though it kind of uh, 
potentially, I mean, I like the wordplay with the cleansing concept, right? That's happening there, though. It's potentially a little bit uh, misleading, right? I mean, like, where's the clean cleansing come from ourselves, right? Are we, are we, we're coming clean or so we, so we can clean, clean ourselves. Um, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, like that, the, so both of the, both of the contemporary, the, the more, you know, when we go to the far interpretive end uh, of the translation spectrum here, we see the concept of uh, uh, just righteousness is going away almost entirely, right? Um, or being paraphrased very loosely. Um, but almost none of them, none, none of the other ones have the other repetition. But now you see why I keep using the New American Standard as my primary uh, uh, translation here when we're discussing, um, because this one has it, and it's there in the Greek. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? Those are the same word. Um, Well, it's a reversal, right? Obviously, like righteous and unrighteous. He is faithful and just, dikaios. And what is he cleansing us of? Adikios. So it's, this is the same word, righteousness, unrighteousness. Now, so this word is sometimes translated righteous and it's sometimes translated just. So as adjectives, sometimes righteous, sometimes just. As a noun, sometimes righteousness, sometimes justice, right? Um, I mean, uh, theoretically, you could translate that to cleanse us from all injustice. Like that word is sometimes translated injustice, edikias. Um, so um, uh, there we go. See, hey, yeah, there you go. The Norwegian translation wins again. There you go. You, you got it. You got it. Um, this, uh, it's, it's emphasizing the same thing. Good, good. I, I like it. Again, my Norwegian grandfather would have been happy. Um, so this is an important concept, right? And it's a complicated, this is one of those words that's really complicated. It's a, it's a common New Testament word right? Righteousness, justice. And it seems to mean, um, it seems to mean both, right? It seems to mean both. Um, I'm not saying that it's inappropriate. Like, I'm not saying that the translations are wrong there. I'm just saying, um, I'm just saying that it's complicated. Um, yeah, and I, I agree. I think that that's, that seems to me a sensible place to start, or at least Aiden, something to suspect, right? Um, uh, Aiden says those are one concept in Greek, right? Yeah, exactly. If in Greek they're using the same word for contexts which seem to demand in English one word or the other, then it suggests to us that maybe we need to learn something about what these Greek speakers meant by that word, right? It, it tells us that um, if we have very different, if the idea of justice and the idea of righteousness are um, are not the same in our minds, right? Then uh, that, I mean, if like we wouldn't, if we don't, don't use the same word, right? To describe those two things, then we're probably not thinking about it the same way that they did, right? Um, because I don't think this is merely a pun. I don't think it is. Um, it's, I, I don't think that this word is like a homophone, you know, or something like that, right? I mean, sometimes there are words which, where we use the same word 
it sounds the same, looks the same, but it has a totally different meaning, right? So like we don't, you know, in English, it's not, um, it's not that those two things are the same concept in our minds. It's just that like through usually some, you know, kind of fluke of philology, we use the same, you know, phonemes to mean two different things, right? Um, but, um, but I really don't, think that this is one of those cases it doesn't seem to be one of those cases and this verse um i think is gives a hint of that right um i think it's really important to preserve the parallel here that's why i'm wholly on the side of the nasb uh in the translation of this verse because um john seems to be wanting to connect those two things the righteousness of god and the unrighteousness from which we are being cleansed, right? Um, It's like light and darkness, right? We are in darkness and we come into the light and we are in the light. When we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, there is no darkness at all in us, right? So by saying he's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he's saying he is restating what he said in verse seven, right? Again, this is where we get the direct peril. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, right? Notice that the, 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 the construction there is in the if clause, right? Then what will happen? The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we get that, the repeat, the, the repetition of the verb, the cleansing, right? The blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so let me let me strip it down a little bit. I'm going to take some things out and then we'll put them back again. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice how this works, right? Of course we are cleansed from all unrighteousness, right? When we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. But if we walk in, if if we are in the light as he is in the light, we are not going to have any darkness in us, right? He is righteous we will be righteous. We will be cleansed from all unrighteousness. Um, It's really complicated how John is on the one hand insisting on these really tight parallels, but on the other hand, he's shifting his terms around in a really complicated way, right? Like sins. Well, okay. So before it was if we walk in the light, then the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So if we join ourselves to him, if we're in fellowship with him, which means being in the light as he is in the light, there will be no darkness in us, which means, so what is having no darkness in us, having in us no darkness at all, since we're in the light as he is in the light, what does that look like in verse seven? Being cleansed from all sin by the blood of Jesus. That's what it looks like in verse seven. What is that? What is walking the light as he himself is in the light? What is being in the light and having no darkness at all look like in verse nine? 
being cleansed from all unrighteousness because he is we are in we are in the light as he himself is in the light we are in the righteousness as he himself is righteous and his righteousness cleanses us from all unrighteousness okay but then there's the sin factor right to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that's the same as before right his blood is cleansing us from all sin so he kind of splits that up he could have just said exactly the same thing again if we confess our sins he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins or just no he is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all our sins right um Yeah, but he splits it into two, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, hey, I agree. The question then becomes, um, as Heya asks, what's the difference between sin and unrighteousness? Is there one? And if not, why is John using both? Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know, but you know what I wonder, Heya? I wonder if it's connected, and somebody was talking about this before. Um, uh, sorry, I forget who it was. Um, Bruce, maybe. Anyway, <clears throat> talking about um, this singular and plural sin business, right? Verse eight: If we say we have no sin, singular, right? Which seems potentially. Um, again, our our theory was he's talking about our state of sinfulness here right um and as opposed to verse nine confessing our sins plural one by one and being forgiven of our sins one by one as we confess them right he faithfully forgives us our sins one by one is then all unrighteousness Right, let me go back to the Greek here. He is faithful and just or righteous that he may forgive us our sins and might cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. All. Huh. Passes. Have we had that? Passes. Have we had that construction? Yeah, we have. All sin, right there. Yeah, cleanses us from all sin, right in verse seven. Yep, yep. Because notice we haven't been dealing with that one yet. The obvious parallel. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You'll notice a question we haven't asked yet, right? Um. If the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, why are we deceiving ourselves if we say we don't have sin? Because I, I was cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Cleansed of all sin. I'm good. But now if I invoke that promise, I'm deceiving myself. But he, in the context of saying that we're deceiving ourselves if we say we have no sin, what he comes back around to in verse nine is a repetition of the same kind of promise to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We are cleansed of all unrighteousness. We are cleansed from all sin. 
those are both pretty extreme statements, right? Um, and we do notice, of course, he's using sin in the singular again, right? Where are we? Um, okay, right. Uh, yep. Hamartia sin singular. Yep. Genitive feminine singular. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Prey says that darn conflict between the already and the not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Remember, that was the premise. We talked about this, right? That seems to be the initial concept of the whole topic of this epistle, right? What was from the beginning, what we have heard, seen, looked at, handled concerning the word of life, all this stuff, right? The life was manifested. And we have seen and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was revealed. Eternal life has been revealed unto us, right? What now? What now? Right? We've heard, seen, looked at, handled the word of life stuff. Right? We, we, it's happened. Life, Zoe, eternal life was revealed. And we've seen it and bear witness. What now? What now? Right? So yes, that, that tension, that tension between praise, as you say, in the traditional terms, the already and the not yet, right? Um, You know, the, uh, the, 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 you know, that which is to come, and, but it's but he's not talking about future. He hasn't talked about future at any point here, um, really. So I want to be cautious about that. But um, he will talk about the future, but he's not talking about the future yet. Um, I agree. There does seem to be a digging into the tension there. He's not denying he takes a radical view of the general fact of the situation, right? If you have koinonia with God, the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses you of all sin. God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I mean, that's, those are both extreme statements. We're clean. We're done. Also note, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we can walk in the light as he is in the light, right? None of this half-hearted, you know, oh, like I am, you know, unworthy to walk with you, right? No, that's not how he talks at all, right? You know, none of this like, oh, no, like I am, there is so much darkness in me. Um, I cannot possibly be in the light as God is in the light. Yes, you can. That's what it means to have koinonia with God. That's what it means to have a relationship with God, right? If you are coming near to God, you're being cleansed. The light is driving the darkness away. That's the promise, right? And the promise is real. It happens, 
right? He insists on that all the way through. So there's no, this is not a, you know, this, the, the, the point of this is not like, so, you know, uh, maybe someday you'll be cleansed, but right now you're still sinful. So, you know, wait for it. Maybe someday it'll get better. That's not what he says three times, right? That first, the idea of walking the light as he himself is in the light. And then the, the, Clear statements. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, present tense, from all sin, right? He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To say that we're not cleansed from our unrighteousness is to question God's faithfulness, right? It's to question God's light. To say that we're still in the darkness is to question God's light. So he's totally uncompromising about those things. Absolutely. We're clean. No darkness at all. But at the same time, we're deceiving ourselves if we say we have no sin. Right? Um, I mean, that's, that's also right there. Right? In what could, like, what, what might sound like apparent contradiction to the rest of it. It's one of the reasons I was struggling last week with the parallelism with fitting eight in. Right, because it seems to point in the opposite direction to what six, seven, and nine point to. Right, but I don't think it's opposite. I don't think it is. Now, notice the other thing is the pivotal nature of the beginning of verse nine. Right, um, the parallel between seven and nine, I think, is pretty clear. Right. But notice how much more he says in seven than nine. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, right? He gives this metaphor for koinonia, fellowship with God, right? Walking in the light as he himself is in the light. Doing it just like Jesus did. Being in the light. God is light and in him is no darkness, right? Just as God was in the light, God was the light and is in the light, we can be in the light. And if we do, then we are cleansed from all sin. But the if clause in nine doesn't say anything explicitly about fellowship with God or about walking in the light. It says, if we confess our sins, that's it. That's it. It's really simple. If we confess our sins, This is why I think if we confess our sins is seems to me to correspond to that's the reversal of do not practice the truth, right? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And he never comes back and shows us the contrary to that. What does it mean to practice the truth? Exactly. Because verse seven shows us the flip side of verse six, but only in the action part, not in the words part, if you see what I mean, right? Um, it shows us what walking in the light is like and what will happen if we do walk in the light. But it doesn't show us what practicing the truth looks like, right? We see what practicing the truth doesn't, does not look like. What does it look like? Well, I'm suspecting 
it means confessing our sins is an illustration of practicing the truth, right? Because remember, not practicing the truth was saying we're in fellowship, in communion, in koinonia with God, but walking in darkness. Apparently, according to verse 8, simply never setting foot in the darkness, not really an option. And we're leading ourselves astray, potentially towards that darkness, if we believe that, right? We cannot believe that if the truth is in us. But if the truth is in us, and if we're practicing, so what does practicing the truth look like? confessing our sins. Not just saying we have fellowship with him. I'm good with God. I'm in relationship with God. Ignore the walking in darkness stuff, right? That's a lie. That's not practicing the truth. To practice the truth is to confess our sins and say, I acknowledge that I have sinned. I acknowledge that I screwed. I have fellowship with God, but I screwed up again. And if we confess that, then God is faithful. He's righteous to forgive us our sins. By the way, notice the oddity of that in a sense. Whether you think of it in terms of righteousness or justice, thinking that, you know, the kind of English concepts of righteousness or justice, um, however you want to think that in your head or however you're kind of working to combine those two things into one unified concept in your head, because it's the same word in Greek, um, Neither one of them really seems, doesn't it seem a little bit odd to connect that with forgiveness? I mean, if we confess our sins, justice is not really what you're looking for, usually, right? Or to put this another way around, the righteousness of God, think of the Old Testament now, right? The righteousness of God is not normally comforting the sinful, right? Um, I mean, normally the context of confession is like, um, I know you're righteous, but, (laughs) right? But please, um, you know, forgive me anyway, right? Um, You need to be cleansed in order to be in the presence of the righteous God. This is again why, you know, you don't just waltz into the Holy of Holies, right? Um, cleansing comes first, right? Um, cleansing comes first, and then you are made, you know, first you have to make yourself righteous, and then you can go into the president, the presence of the righteous and just God. Right. Um, But he links the righteousness of God with that act of forgiveness, with the cleansing. He almost, it's almost like he's reversing the order of that. Right. Because he is righteous, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yeah. Like because he is light, he will illuminate our darkness. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, But, uh, Yeah, yeah, this is, 
So it's, it's, it's like, and yet unlike things have, something has changed, right? And yes, praise the, the key thing it would seem, right, is the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin, right? Uh, Jesus has changed this situation. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, it's like that wonderful thing that we see in the gospels that I, that I talked about before, right? How in, we see again and again in the in the Hebrew Bible that the unrighteous, like if you bring that which is unclean, right? That which is unrighteous into the presence of the righteous God, the unclean will be destroyed, right? It is, it is, it is to be kept out. Um, it's important. Take off your shoes, right? Because you're standing on holy ground. But there are hints, right? There are hints of how the righteousness of God brings righteousness, right? And makes you righteous. And of course, the law enables cleansing, right? I mean, it's the, the point of the law, not to restrict, but to give access. Um, but that lesson, it gets hammered home again and again, right? About unrighteousness. But then we see Jesus kind of turning things on its head, right? Normally, according to the law, right? When something that is unclean touches something that is clean, the thing that is clean is made unclean, right? If you've touched a dead body, well, now you're unclean. You have to purify yourself before you can be clean again, right? But Jesus goes around touching unclean things like lepers, right? And instead of being made unclean by them, he makes them clean. The, 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 the cleanness, the righteousness of God becomes contagious, through Jesus. Right. Um, and I think that that's exactly what we're seeing here. Right. Um, God's righteousness is now not a threat. It's now a promise, right? He is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we come into the presence of the Holy God, we are not destroyed. We are cleaned. And that's kind of amazing. Right. Um, and again, verse nine, what's the if clause? Confession, our words, if we confess our sins. That's it. Why? Why should that be? Why is confessing our sins in the parallel place to walking in the light as he himself is in the light? Why? How does that make sense? I mean, that seems so simple. Really? Like, I just have to say those words? Is it magic words? Confession? Or is me uttering magic words? No. Again, confessing our sins is practicing the truth, right? It's doing the truth. Following through in our actions, right? With the truth. But it's also the reversal of what he just said in verse eight, right? We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we deceive ourselves, we lead ourselves astray. We believe that we have no sin. We believe this is not an issue at all, right? Then the truth is not in us. And that's a big deal. 
right? The truth not being in us. We were looking at that last week, um, the way that the word truth is used here in verse six and then in verse eight. And verse eight is much more personal, right? Um, Because we've had that construction. Walk in the light as he himself is in the light. And the truth is not in us, right? Um, That um, kind of inhabiting um, inhabiting within, right? Uh, I don't think we yet have enough to firmly conclude that he's personifying truth here, that he's identifying truth with God, with Jesus, with the spirit. But I, I think we're getting there, right? And confessing our sins. If the truth is, if, if the truth is in us, right? So let me take verse eight and then turn it around in a different way, right? If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. It shows if we're deceiving ourselves, the truth is not in us. So what does it look like if the truth is in us then? Well, if the truth is in you, then you will confess your sins. The truth is not in you. Then you're deceiving yourself, right? But if the truth is in you, then you will confess your sins. This is the natural outflow. So what does it look like? What does koinonia with God look like according to these verses? Koinonia with God looks like walking in the light as he himself is in the light? Yes. What does it mean? It means you're cleansed from all sin. It means you're cleansed from all unrighteousness. You are clean. You are accepted. But it also means, right? Um, what does koinonia with God look like? It also means confessing our sins. It means you're, you, you're clean. You're going to be clean. You're clean. You have no unrighteousness. You have no sin. But you're still going to commit sins. That will still happen. And if you think it won't, you're deceiving yourself, right? Um, if the truth is in you, if you are walking in the light, what that means is not never sinning. It means always confessing your sin, always bringing that into the light. You're going to turn away from the light. It's going to happen regularly, probably, right? Um, but you're not going to walk in the, that darkness, right? If the truth is in you, if you're practicing the truth, you're going to bring that darkness into the light. And guess what happens? We know what happens when you do that, right? The darkness is gone. Sin is cleansed. Unrighteousness is cleansed in the righteousness of God. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, And now I agree, hey, uh, I'm not saying that it's just about saying the words. Definitely not. Definitely not, right? I mean, again, it's it's about, ultimately, it's about having fellowship with God, right? Having that relationship, which is a two-way relationship, right? Um, at the end of the day, I think that that's 
people talk about cheap grace. At the end of the day, it seems to me that one of the things that's central to the idea of cheap grace is the idea that a relationship with God is a one-way street, right? Um, it doesn't matter what I do. Like, you know, God, will forgive me, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we have to be walking with him. We have to walk in the light, stand in the light, right? Not get, this is not like a, like a one-time irradiation by the light, like some kind of disinfecting process, permanent disinfecting process. And then we go our own way, right? Um, it's not even like the light is like a sort of disinfectant shower that we occasionally wander back to, right? For our own good, right? Oh yeah, thanks, whatever. I've accumulated some more darkness. Could you just take care of that? Thanks very much. Be back later, right? Um, that's hot, but it's, you're not practicing the truth, right? If you do that, right? That's, that would be saying you have fellowship with him and yet walking in the darkness, right? Um, yeah. Um, exactly, praise. Uh, and I do think that this is exactly the kind of thing that Paul is talking about, you know, um, shall we sin that grace may abound, right? Um, yeah, you, you, that's, it's ridiculous, right? It's ridiculous. Anybody who even thinks in that direction is not even thinking about having fellowship with God, having relationship with God, right? Um, it's, uh, it's just simply not how we're, and so confession, I think here, if we confess our sins, it's about that ongoing relationship, right? Um, of having the truth in us. And I think at the end of the day, that this picture, this picture of our being in fellowship with him, freely confessing our sins when we sin, knowing we're knowing that we have sin, right? Present tense. It is the thing that we have and we're deceiving ourselves if we say otherwise, despite like we've been cleansed and that's real, right? The two things are not in contradiction to each other. The cleansing is real, right? But the cleansing, it, it's something you have to walk in. It's something you have to walk in. If you, you have to walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Again, the if then thing, right? If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, it's a picture of ongoing relationship. We have to do it. We have to carry on doing it, right? Um, so wait, does that mean we're not forgiven? Like the forgiveness of God isn't enough, right? We have to be forgiven again and again. Oh, well, yeah, if we're sinning again and again, then yeah, that's exactly how it works, right? Um, so what does it mean to be cleansed from all sin? Well, what does it mean to, for there to be no darkness at all in the light? <laughs> I mean, again, like we're in the light. It's, it's, you see the, thing that, the things that he's holding in tension here, right? And the picture, which seems to me very clearly to emerge, is this one of ongoing relationship. This is, this is, this is not going to stop. This is where we are right now, where we need to be 
in a continuous state of walking with God. Does it mean we can't rely on his forgiveness? Well, of course it does. He's faithful, right? He will always forgive us the next time we sin too, if we confess it, if we are in the, if the truth is in us, right? If we practice the truth, if we walk in the light, right? Um, but it is something that we have to continue to come back to. Otherwise, we're not going to be practicing the truth. We're going to be saying, okay, I've been cleansed once and for all. Cool. Right? Cool. I'm cleansed once for all, so I don't have to worry about it. Right? Even to say, you know, not just in the shall we sin so that grace may abound thing, but I think that sometimes even if we say things like, God has done all the work. I don't have to, right? I'm not sure that John agrees with that. Yes. On the one hand, yeah, of course that's true, but that's not the whole story. Yes. The blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. It's not like a, the power of the blood of Christ is insufficient to cleanse us from all of our sin, right? But if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, right? Even after. We've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, his son. It's not, uh, we're not placed into this permanent state. And if we allow ourselves to think like, I'm in now this permanent state of grace because I've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You got to keep the truth in you. (laughs) You You have to keep the truth in you. You have to confess your sins. You have to pursue that ongoing relationship. You have to walk, not stand, right? Not lounge in the light, right? Not expect the light to follow you around. That's not what he suggests here, I think. Um, Now, hey, that is a really important thing. I was saying it's not a one-way relationship, right? Um, God forgiving us. Um, That's why we get the if, then, if, then, if, then, if, then, all the way through this whole section, right? Um, It's a two-way relationship. Um, But um, Haya points out it's a three-way relationship, as John seems to be insisting. You'll notice throughout the entire discussion here today, I've been skipping over, we have fellowship with one another in verse seven, right? Because I'm trying to emphasize that if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, uh, his son cleanses us from all sin, and I'm skipping the middle term. We have fellowship with one another, right? Um, Notice he doesn't get back to that. There's no parallel to that in verse nine. That's another reason why I've not been emphasizing it because I've been focused on nine here. Um, But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes. But I agree with you. Hey, I think that's really important to recall Um, it's a three-way relationship, right? God's relationship with us, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, right? Um, These three things are all interconnected, um, indeed, almost identified with each other in the way that he talks about koinonia. Um, Yes, so one of the things... Yeah, so Stephen is asking, um, it's like in becoming saved, we're no longer enemies of God, but that doesn't mean we're always in good standing. 
Yeah, though I'd be, I want to be careful a little bit here, Stephen. I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable in some ways with the vocabulary, the very common um, modern, especially evangelical vocabulary of being saved. Um, I'm going to say a thing which might sound more radical than I really mean it, but I think that the emphasis on that word and that concept, I think that it often is misleading. I think it leads to a lot of misunderstanding of the gospel, honestly. That's my impression. I might be wrong, but that's my impression. Um, But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, especially since we're completely out of time. But what I do want to say is that's not John's language here. Um, Yeah. Okay. Indulging the rabbit hole just a little bit. Praise exactly. Um, Often it's spoken of as if it's a kind of get out of hell free card. Praise. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Say the magic words and now you're not going to hell. So everything's fine. Right. And I, that idea seems to me vastly untrue to the gospel. Like, I just, I don't see that like anything that like the new Testament, Jesus does not talk that way. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, (laughs) Jesus doesn't talk that way at all. Um, uh, It's more than an over, simplification, right? Um, like it's a good deal worse than merely an oversimplification. Um, uh, like there are some verses you can take out of context that sound kind of like that, um, but you have to take them out of context and you have to ignore the other 98% of the New Testament. Um, so yeah, I just, I have a really, um, and again, that, that that's just salvation, isn't the primary language of the gospel. Like that's not what Jesus doesn't talk about salvation. He's not about being saved. Like, I'm not saying it's not a biblical image. I'm not saying it's not a useful idea. Um, it is a metaphor. It is part of the metaphorical structure of the new Testament in talking about our relationship with God. Um, but, um, but I am far from believing that it is the primary. Um, and I'm even further from believing it's the most useful way for us to kind of boil down the gospel. Um, anyway, sorry. Okay. All right. I'm really stopping the rabbit hole now, but again, what I would insist on though, is that it's not John's language. Um, he's not been talking about salvation at any point. He's talking about koinonia, right? Community has been, when he's talking about us and God, he's talking about our community with him, even all the way through here, the fellowship that we have with him, right. And with each other. Um, he's talking about, what does that look like, right? Uh, in a sense, right? Given the premise, God is light and in him is, there is no darkness at all. You know, what does is, what is being in community with him look like? That's one way I think that we could kind of try to paraphrase what he's trying to work at here in verses six through nine that we've been studying. Um, uh, so anyway, all right. Next week, all right. So two. Th- uh, so uh, next week, um, we'll uh, we'll finish chapter one. Right. Very exciting. Now, chapter one is by far the shortest chapter uh, in First John. So we're very we're not at all 
20% of the way through this book um, uh, by, you know, by verses. But we will come to the end of the first semi-artificial uh, breaking uh, division of this. Uh, of course, the original text isn't divided into chapters and verses. Um, but anyway, it's still hard not to see it as a kind of milestone. So, um, uh, and I do think that it is the end of a, of a paragraph. It's a legitimate end of the paragraph. So uh, that is the thing, which is to me a little more meaningful than uh, the numbers that have been assigned. Uh, but anyway, so we're going to finish the paragraph and then we'll see, uh, we'll see how verse 10 kind of qualifies things. I have to admit, uh, well, no, never mind. I'll admit my thoughts about <laughs> my forebodings about verse 10 <laughs> next time at the start. Um, so Looking forward to verse 10 and finishing our second paragraph. That will be a lot of fun. Uh, Thanks very much, everybody. Okay, that's it for this week. I'll be back with another episode soon as we continue our march through 1 John. I'm glad you could join me. Godspeed.